saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards, we have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Rachel Cook, your modern mentor. And today, we're going to talk about bullshit, because it can be found all around us. But how do you know when it's actually harmful and dangerous? John Petricelli, social psychologist and author of the new book, The Life-Changing Science of Detecting Bullshit, joins me for a conversation to help decode, demystify, and push past the BS. Oh, and yes, it's science. John Petricelli, author of The Life-Changing Science of Detecting Bullshit. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I have been looking forward to digging into this one with you. I read it. I loved it. I took a lot away from it. And I would love it if we could start with just a little bit of background. I know that this is your first book, and I'm always curious how a scientist and a researcher sort of chooses the lane that they want to play in. So tell us a little bit about what drew you to this topic. Where did this book come from? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I'm, just, I'm really just an old college professor of psychology, and I've been conducting research in social psychology for about 20 years now. And um, about five years ago, I picked up Harry Frankfurt's On B.S., book, which was actually a, a, just a 20-page article written in 1986, but then later changed to a book in 2001. I had read it maybe three times before I started to think, well, gee, I, there, this ought to be a behavior that social psychologists have a lot to say about, right? And it's, it seems very uh, pervasive, ubiquitous behavior. And when I took a look at the existing literature on BSing and BS detection, I was amazed to find very little to nothing about the behavior. And I thought, I love this concept of, of the behavior, but we didn't really know much about the empirical side. What, what causes it? What are the, what are the antecedents of the behavior? What are the consequences of the behavior? When do people engage in it? Uh, when, when do they feel comfortable calling it? And there really just wasn't anything experimental that spoke to it. So when I picked it up maybe the third or fourth time, I thought, okay, someone needs to start investigating this and asking the, the basic kinds of experimental questions that we'd normally ask about any kind of behavior. I love the inspiration, and I love the fact that you're coming at it through the lens of a researcher and a scientist. You know, I think you and I chatted a little bit via email before this conversation, and we talked about how there are a lot of books out there that have titles like, you know, the life-changing magic of or the art of. 
Um, and I love that you really just went for it. It's it's the life-changing science of detecting bullshit. And I think that there's something really important in that now. I know you talk a lot in the book about how we do, the general we, we do call it a lot, right? And I think it's important that we have a perspective on what actually constitutes bullshit as you're defining it in the book. So I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about that. So the definition I've been using, Harry Frankfurt's kind of broadened definition in my work because it's 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 a brilliant definition because it's one that can be studied empirically. But BS is basically a communicative substance that results from intentionally or unintentionally consciously or even unconsciously, where people are not even aware that they're engaging the behavior, communicating something that one knows little to nothing about in order to impress others, to maybe fit in, to persuade, to influence, or to embellish, or to simply hide the fact that one doesn't know what it is that they're actually talking about. So there's a number of motives for it, but essentially it just involves talking about something with little to no regard for what we would call truth, genuine evidence, or established knowledge, which is different from lying because liars usually don't believe what it is that they're saying, right? <laughs> as far as they know, what they're saying is is false, but they, they try to detract us from the truth. The BSer, on the other hand, doesn't care, isn't paying any attention to truth. In fact, what the BSer says might actually be correct, but but even they wouldn't know it because <laughs> they're not paying any attention to, to truth, evidence, or established knowledge. And the social reactions to lying and BSing are completely different. So usually, you know, if a, if a friend or a colleague or someone lies to us, the response is usually anger uh, or disdain in some way, and you're, the liar is going to have to tell a lot of truths in the future to gain trust back, right? But with BSing, we often give a social pass of acceptance. We usually say, oh, well, you know, Joe's just BSing, you know, or, oh, or Joe's, oh, I'm just BSing you, right? But even the way we talk about these behaviors, we might say, oh, we're just sitting out here on the porch BSing. You know, or or we say, oh, I'm just BSing you. But but rarely do you ever hear anyone say, oh, we're just sitting out here on the porch lying to one another, or we're we're just lying to each other. So so the the distinction between the behaviors is very clear. But the problem is, is they often sound the same. So they two people can be saying the same exact thing, but one is concerned with truth, so far as to tell a successful lie, and they they remember the lie as well too because. They want to remember that in the future. But the BSer, again, doesn't care. They don't have the burden of trying to remember the truth because they're not even, they're not even paying attention to it. Um, and the two, uh, you would think, okay, well, these are probably bad for communication and, and reasoning. Uh, but the research so far suggests that, that BS can have a longer lasting and more impactful effect on a person's attitudes and beliefs and even what they believe to be true. So if I tell you, hey, Rachel, I lied to you just a moment ago, then you would know that whatever I just told you was false, right? But if I said, well, Rachel, I just BSed you a moment ago, well, now you don't know. Well, it, it could be true. It may be false. Who knows? You'll have to do the fact-checking. Um, you'll have to do the work 
Um, and if you, you don't get around to it, you might end up thinking that something is true when in fact it's not. So, so those, so those are some of the basic differences between the two behaviors. Um, and in, in my research, I look at, at what, you know, what are the, what are the consequences of it? What are the impacts on attitudes, beliefs, and what we believe to be true? On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore One Nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, my charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. What I'd love to do is maybe spend a little bit of time talking about, because in your book, you really cover sort of how BS plays out in a number of different realms of our lives, right? We talk, you talk in the book about politics and news and advertising, and there are all these different realms. And I'd love it if we could try to home our focus a little bit into the workplace. And it was interesting because as I was listening to you talk about, you know, sort of BS and and what distinguishes it from a lie, there were a couple words you used in there, like, you know, we use it to persuade or we use it to convince. And the reality is there's a lot of persuading and convincing and coalition building that we need to do in the workplace, right? Whether it is building a team of champions to get behind your idea, or whether it is you persuading your leader or an executive team that you're ready for, for the next role, you're ready for a promotion. And so I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about how you've seen it kind of show up in the workplace and, and where it's maybe hindering us and where where it's possibly even serving us, if at all. Yes, yes. Yeah, actually, the workplace is a wonderful place to to study and try to understand BS because it's it's really all around in the in the workplace. You would think the other, you know, the workplace would be a place that that people would engage in evidence based communication and reasoning more more than any other place. But you find BS just as much there as any any other place. And that, and part of the reason for that is that there are two sort of essential factors that that uh, sort of create BS or context in which BS emerges. And one is simply feeling obligated to have an answer or feeling obligated to have an opinion about everything. <laughs> and it's impossible to have an informed opinion about everything. And everything is kind of expanded today. We're still supposed to have opinions about those things, but we're also supposed to be able to talk about and have opinions about whether or not Game of Thrones ended on time, whether or not people should be allowed to carry dogs in their purses, whether Slumdog Millionaire 
should have won more Oscars than it did, or whether Kim Kardashian should be or should not be famous, and whether or not her sisters should be allowed to digitally modify their pictures on Instagram and other advertisements. So people feel obligated to have opinions about these things. And in in the workplace, when people are supposed to have expertise in an area, they're supposed to have answers to to questions that are important to their work. Um, and the, But the reality is oftentimes we do not have well-informed answers and evidence-based beliefs about the, the things we do. People are just prisoners of the confines of their personal and their professional experience. And that personal professional experience provides data that is often random. It's unrepresentative. It's often ambiguous or incomplete, inconsistent. It's often indirect, like second or third hand and often even surprising or counterattitudinal. So so data collection through personal and professional experience um it it's not bad but it's it's certainly not the full picture of data collection that people need to make the most informed decisions. And then the second factor that people run into um when they feel obligated to provide an opinion is they get a sense for, well, how easy or difficult will it be to get away with this BS, right? And if it's relatively easy, uh, people will BS just about anything, especially, again, when they feel obligated to have an, an opinion. So whenever you, you couple both of those factors, and you, people feel obligated for whatever reason to share an opinion, have an opinion, and they feel it's easy, to, relatively easy to get away with, no one's going to call them on, on their BS, which happens all the time, people are going to BS about everything. There's a paper that's still under review um, that I wish I had conducted uh, the research myself, but I, I didn't. And, and um, But in, in that study, the, the researchers looked at reasons for why people would BS in the workplace. And they identified 36 different situations and unique reasons why people would BS in the workplace. So they explained, they explained, this is, this is what BS is, sort of using the definition that I've used. And then said, well, why would you do this? And if there's 36 different <laughs> unique situations and reasons that people BS in the workplace, then, then there must, there must be even dozens more in, in life. But what they found was that people, uh, will BS most frequently when, when they see a chance to promote status, to promote positive status, to, to, uh, to get ahead, to look impressive, to look knowledgeable. But they'll also use it for status prevention. So to get out of trouble, you know, to explain, well, why they were late or, <laughs> or, or why they were unable to finish a project. And, and then they also found that people will use the sort of the value of communion get you know connection with other people that will use bs to not only get along but to get around to talk about the weather when you know a colleague who doesn't really communicate where i haven't had very good interactions with in the past i'd rather talk about something that's just sort of superficial and meaningless rather than talk about what i actually did over the weekend so people use bs in those situations too and so it's it's all over the place in addition to all of the business speak that is just that adds sort of this pseudo profundity to to workplace behavior you know using words like like leverage and bandwidth and win-win all of these kind of 
business speak ease kinds of things that are that are really more ambiguous than helpful. So it's definitely there. People can expect to see it, and the more they expect to see it, I think the more they will 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 see it in the workplace. Yeah. And I think about some of my own experience back when I worked full time within an organization and even, you know, now in some ways more so as a consultant, right? I show up to a meeting with a team of executive leaders and they've brought me in as the expert. And so when they pose a question, there is absolutely an expectation that I have an answer. And I'll tell you that six years into running my business, I've done a lot of work on learning how to say in a very professionally appropriate way, I don't know. Um, and I think it, it takes a lot of practice and a lot of courage, right? I think in some ways, a little bit like that Mark Twain quote, right? I didn't, I didn't have time to write you a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. Um, it takes more practice to say, I don't know, than it does to sort of BS somebody in the moment because it requires, I think, more skills. Um, you know, there is poise and there is confidence and there is willingness to fail. And all of these things do take practice. And so what I'm taking away from what you're saying is a couple things. What I'm hearing is that, hey, if you're listening to this and you are a leader within an organization, you lead an organization or you lead a team of three people, give your teams permission to say, I don't know, right? Role model that, invite them to say, hey, I'm going to ask you this question. I'd rather have the right answer than an immediate answer, right? So as a leader, I think there is a real imperative to bring this this insight to life and create a space for, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out, right? There has to be an accountability. And likewise, if you're not a leader, um, but if you reflect on your own personal behavior and experience and you realize, oh, wait, I'm pretty sure I did that last week with, you know, my team members, I think the call to action for you is to to be a bit reflective and to try to find moments in which you're going to say, huh, that's a great question. I would love to look into that. Let me circle back in a couple hours, a couple days, whatever it's going to take. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get back to you on yeah. that when I have a more well-informed opinion or information about it. I mean, the forming beliefs and making decisions without regard for truth, without regard for reality, that doesn't bode very well in the way of optimal decision making. And that's probably the worst consequence of, of BS-based reasoning and communication. And there's lots of things that leaders could do to discourage BS, communication and reasoning, and replace it with by encouraging evidence-based communication and reasoning. And um, there's there's just lots of things that they can do, which include providing their employees with some security. You know, you know a lot of the BS that's generated by people are are coming from people who are in, they're insecure about their jobs, or they they don't feel that they have the safety to kind of tell their superiors what hey what the what the data actually suggests. You know, so they often feel. They're in a in a position where they've just got to report what the boss hopes is true or or what sounds great. But also give give employees a, a, just space to ask questions. Simply make it okay to just ask questions and to investigate. I would love to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk a little bit about stakes because 
you know, you had said at the beginning, we tend to throw this word around, you know, sometimes you feel like, oh my gosh, this person is BSing me and it doesn't feel good. But other times we might say, ah, we're sitting on the porch and we're BSing. And and I, I think, but push back if I'm wrong, that there are maybe more innocuous forms of BS that are there to sort of serve, like you were talking about earlier, communion, right? Building community and building connection and you know, you talk about this thing in your book, the, the BS flies index. And, and in my mind, I sort of equate that with stakes, right? When is it harmful? And when is it innocuous? And when is it actually kind of okay, because nobody's being harmed? And, and it's just there for lubricating a relationship. And I would love it if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Because if there's anything from the book that I think is worth catching on or going viral, if you will, it's it's this flies index because what my plan is is to try to change the community communicative culture that we live in by sort of developing an easier language that people can begin to use and feel comfortable with to make that behavior of calling bs a little more natural a little more comfortable because usually it's not a comfortable situation uh, because it's it can be a communication uh, killer right right so so, but if people have more of a language to kind of apply, maybe they'll start to do it. And so, so I, yeah, I developed this, the, the flies index, which has, uh, three stages. It actually should have four, uh, but I've got, I've got harmless. Um, and, and that is harm, harmless BS would be innocuous or, you know, maybe it's mildly offensive. Maybe it'll get a couple of pairs of eyes rolling. But it really doesn't have much consequence, and if anything, it may it it may have you know the function of connecting with others and sort of being on the same page, or 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 indicating agreement, or or maybe slight disagreement with others. But and so I would say the harmless. I would say well that 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 BS might attract one fly, and the reason why I've used the flies, by the way, is that is the fly is the quintessential prototype BS detector. I mean, if you're ever out in a, a dog park or farm or safari or zoo, you'll, you'll notice right away, um, <laughs> that flies just kind of come out of nowhere when animals are, are dropping, right? So they, they, uh, those, those, those guys are, are the quintessential BS detectors. And so, um, the second stage sort of is, is bad. So you've got harmful potential is there. It's something that might fail. To conform to to common standards of acceptable conduct, uh, and it's just unpleasant and it's unwelcome. Did you see her face? Who would who would ever vote for a face like that? That's a that's a pretty good example. It dehumanizes and objectifies women, and it suggests that physically unattractive people can't be good leaders. And that that's just that's not a very functional belief. It's just it's complete <laughs> it's complete BS. And I think it is I think it is harmful. Uh, but then you have other, you have dangerous BS, which deserves three flies. And, and that's, that's something that, that is likely to cause direct harm or injury or perhaps problems with adverse consequences. Like I can easily text while driving without a seatbelt and it doesn't affect my driving at all. I don't see the big deal. All right. Now that would be complete and, and dangerous. BS that has some immediate consequences. Of course, nobody can actually do that, but there's so many people that actually have belief that they can goof around on their phones and text and, and uh, while driving with no consequences. Um, so that so those are sort of the three stages. Uh, but I do believe that there are there 
can potentially be some potential benefits. Now, there's, there's, there are definitely benefits of BS to the individual. The three that I've focused on, harmless, uh, bad, and dangerous, can have consequences for greater society. But beyond just having for the individual, I think there are some cases where if you say, hey, um, you know, to the kids at the swimming pool, you know, they put a compound in that swimming pool water that reveals uh, urine so they can catch people who pee in the pool. As far as I know, that's not true. But I, I, I think that's actually pretty functional BS if it, if it helps to prevent undesirable, uh, you know, behaviors and outcomes. I think, I, I think BS could be used for good. Um, I certainly believed that as a kid, and it kept me from peeing in the pool. And so, you know, but I think in general, it tends to have either a, a sort of, again an annoyance sort of reaction that we might call harmless. But then there's it's the bad and dangerous BS that I'm most concerned about. And I, I actually think, unfortunately, that that's that's usually the most common form of it, um, especially to the extent that it that it shapes what people believe to be true. And then that factors what people believe to be true factors into the decisions that they make. It can have devastating consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the challenge really is to focus on the ultimate outcome for the greater good and not just for yourself, right? And sometimes that means being the messenger and telling the boss something she doesn't want to hear and maybe feeling the pain of that in the moment while also knowing you're going to deliver a better outcome for the company, for the customer whoever the, the stakeholder might be. Yes, yes. And I could tell you what, I mean, at least personally, one of the things that always worked for me, it's not going to work for everyone. It, uh, my, my mother growing up would always tell me, John, I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, so I would know, <laughs> I would ask her a question and I would know, okay, the, you know, I might not like the, the, the sound of this, but it's the truth. And, and, and understanding the truth is our best, very best snapshot of reality and the very best thing that we can use for making optimal decisions. But if we're if we're just kind of operating in you know fairy tale fantasy land, most of most of the time, it's it again, it's not going to bode well for optimal decision making. You know, I feel like at this point we've talked a lot about the idea of you, the listener, perhaps being the BSer. And I want to spend just a minute or two on the other side of it, because I think a big piece of the focus in your book is really on the importance of being a critical thinker and how we perceive and take in information. And there's this passage in your book that I really liked. And if you can bear with me reading your words back to you for just a moment, I'd love for you to comment on it. But you say that the science of detecting BS may not change society, but it can have a life-changing impact on you personally. By adopting a critical posture and the power of inquisitive questioning, you awaken the natural scientist and critical thinker inside yourself. Um, that sounds amazing, 10,000 feet in the air. And I wonder if you could turn that into just one or two nuggets of practical advice. Yeah, I, I could do uh, maybe two or three. The, but the first thing I would have to say is, is that the failure to, to detect BS often has to do with a confusion of explanation versus genuine evidence. So most people treat explanation as if it is evidence. But those two things are completely different, okay? So evidence is something that verifies, demonstrates, uh, supports a claim or an assertion. So when someone makes a claim or an assertion about something, whether there's a, a causal effect or whether or not something exists, 
something that demonstrates the or supports that claim, we would say, is evidence. But explanation is just a reason. It may be just why I believe it, but it's it's not evidence. Okay, so I might explain that you know, if in if if Bill Buckner in 1986 had missed that 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 ball that was hit, that my beloved Boston Red Sox would have won the World Series. You know, but. But I don't have any. I don't have any proof of that. I don't have any evidence of that. Maybe somebody else would have hit a home run next, and they still would have lost. Who knows? But, but, but treating the evidence and explanation as two separate things—that's that is critical and recognizing the difference. The, another reason why people fail to, to detect BS is because they feel like they're not susceptible to it. Though most everyone thinks that they're they're good at at detecting BS and it, it doesn't harm them, right? And and that's where people can't be more wrong. And in fact, if you take a look at the psychological science on this, it's the people people that are usually most confident in their ability to detect BS that are most susceptible to it. They're just completely unaware of it. And we call one version of this, we call it a, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And the basic idea is that the cognitive skills, like the thought reasoning skills, that you need to recognize competence are the very same mental skills that you need to be competent. If you're incompetent, most people don't know it. But another very important reason why people fail to detect BS is they do not ask the right questions. When they hear a claim, they hear an assertion, they don't ask three important questions. And those, those questions are what, how, and have you considered? So if you hear something that doesn't sound quite right and you, you question it and you think, uh, well, my friend just said X. And if you ask them, well, what is it that you're actually saying? You know, I hear you say X. Are you saying, are you, <laughs> are you saying X? What will usually happen is people will feel obligated to clarify what it is their claim is. And oftentimes what you'll see is a few backpedaled steps on what it actually is. And so they'll oftentimes kind of clean up the BS because clarification is, is a major antidote to BS. Um, and so, so you'll already start to expose yourself to less BS as they, as they clean it up. But then the next question you have to ask is how? Um, usually people ask why questions. And I, I wouldn't ask why. If you ask why, what you will get is sort of a heady, very abstract kind of uh, value-based reasons why somebody believes something. But if you ask them how, you'll get them in a more concrete mode of, of, of thinking where they will be sort of forced to point to things that they know to be true that they can demonstrate. And so how is an important question. How do you know that, you know, this is true? How do you know that when we switch to this policy in our organization, we're going to increase sales. People will get there naturally. Sometimes you have to ask them four or five times because people are not used to answering how questions. If coming out of those questions, you really don't have much and you don't really have very good reasons for, for believing the claim or assertion to be true, it's probably best to to assume that it's false until you have otherwise uh, genuine evidence to suggest that it is true. Those three questions, they're rarely asked. They show interest in the claim and the assertion, which people are oftentimes 
uh, very willing to to provide, especially if you act, if you act dumb and you just say, "I just I want to understand what it is you're saying." I, I that sounds really interesting, you know. Then you can engage them in a, in a productive conversation to get at the bottom of of whether or not what they're saying is well thought out, uh, well informed, or if it's just BS. Yeah, I love that. I think we all need to go in with the assumption that sometimes the BSer actually doesn't realize they're BSing you. And sometimes it's through your own gift of asking these questions. I know this has happened for me. Giving the gift of doubt <laughs> mm-hmm. is a wonderful gift to, <laughs> to give. I know some, some people in, the, in, the, in, in, in psychology, we call this the unread library effect, which is, is just rampant. I mean, there's so much information out there that is relevant. But again, you know, personal experience usually just takes kind of a subset of the red- readily available data, often that already fits with what you want to believe or wish to believe or hope to believe is true. And you, so you really don't learn anything. You really don't, you really don't get to a well-informed belief about something. Yes. Twitter is not yeah. college. No, um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it turns yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really nice place to wrap. And I think that's an important piece of advice as we are in this moment when absolutely anybody can have a megaphone. I think the burden is on each of us to have our critical thinking radar up. And I think your book is a really helpful tool for us to keep in our toolbox. So I want to say thank you again, John, for your your time and your insight. And once again, that book is called The Life-Changing Science of Detecting Bullshit by John Petrotelli. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Petricelli, author of The Life-Changing Science of Detecting Bullshit. Follow Modern Mentor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Have a question I can answer? Shoot me an email at modernmentor at quickanddirtytips.com or leave me a voicemail at 201-632-5656 and let me know if it's okay to use your voice on the show. You can also check out my website at leadabovenoise.com. Join me next week for another great episode. And until then, thanks for listening and have a successful week. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.